0: By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.ValleyBaitMidrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program.
1: So so here's what we're gonna do. I'm I'm gonna teach you a little bit about Wolf um, and give you a little bit of background and then we're going to dig into his essay together. Um, I found one of his best essays that I want us to look at in depth that I think will really elicit his theology, his way of looking at the world, and I'll tell you a little bit about it. Um, So Rabbi Arnold Jacob Wolf, Zichrono Livrachah, his memory should be a blessing. I knew him a little bit because he was my father's teacher. And my father, who worked with him first and early in his career, quoted him frequently throughout his life. I'll begin with a personal memory. When my father had his 25th anniversary celebration at his congregation, Wolf came, and he taught that the classic Midrash of Pardes, you remember four, rabbis go, uh, four um, rabbis go into the orchard, right? Do you remember what happens? One goes crazy, one dies, one gets destructive, and only one can go in and come out in peace. Okay, It's a famous, famous Talmudic parable, Wolf said that was a story about the American
2: rabbinate.
1: (laughs) 25% are dead and we don't know it.
2: 25%
1: go crazy. 25% get destructive. And only one in four go in and out in peace. That is how Wolf was. By the way, he said my father was the part of the good 25%. That was the. But he was provocative and honest to a fault unafraid of making enemies, by the way he was Obama's rabbi, I don't know if that means anything to you, he would take off the proverbial veil and he would not mince words. So there may be things in this essay that you cannot stand, he would want you to argue back and I'm from Boston so please argue back, we'll have a, we'll have a robust discussion. Um, his best friend was Dr. Eugene Borowitz, I don't know if you know him but he was a prominent theologian in progressive worlds and he was my personal teacher. And if you have ever read Shema Magazine, he and Borowitz started it as rabbinic students, and it still lives today. He edited a theology book. He started a shul, and he was very much a practitioner. You'll sort of see this in his writing. He has very high bar, but he's not an elitist. He wants to connect to all the people. Um, He was political and courageous. He marched for civil rights. Um, FBI agents recorded an anti-Vietnam drosh that he gave, and he worked on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. If you think the topic of Palestinian rights is controversial now, imagine him starting a foundation or or heading a group in 1973, right? Almost fired for that work uh, from Yale, where he was a Hillel rabbi. He paid a high social price for his activism. And it may be that it was his depth of faith that allowed him to be so critical he was like that parent he wanted the best for us and for God and for Torah and he couldn't stand it when he felt the larger community was um, just glossing over things right Um, in fact I'm quoting now he said the core teaching of Torah has to do with justice and sometimes you have to speak about justice in ways that people don't care to hear And also, I am Adonai, your God, is not a promise, but a challenge to be lived up to at every moment and in every action. So not an easy guy, right? Can you imagine if he's your congregational rabbi? Um, In the article we're about to read, which I think is one of his very best, um, and like I said, it doesn't tread softly, Wolf is going to address us in the middle of a civil rights struggle, okay? And he's going to begin by chastising us that we're on the edges, and that, in fact, we may be part of the problem. So let's, let's begin, and we'll work through it. We're not going to be able to read the whole thing, but I've given you almost all of it, and you can read some of it um, at home. So if you could pass these around. And, um,
3: he's in the South Side of Chicago, right? He's
1: no longer with us. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, at Yeah, uh, yeah. For his congregational work, right? And then he was at Yale in the middle. He died just a few years ago, just a few years ago. So my dad, um, who is a teacher, he's such a diva. He will like literally make people turn over their sheets so nobody's reading ahead, and he makes everybody solemnly swear to not read ahead. I will not be so controlling, but it would be good if we could all read together. If you read it on your own in the room, it's not as fun. Um, Would someone like to just start, and we'll, we'll sort of work our way around the room? His writing is gonna be very strident. So who would like to start? Please.
4: At the convention of the Central Conference of American Rabbis last June, a telegram was read from Martin Luther King, appealing to the reform rabbis to leave their meeting and come to St. Augustine to join with him in a creative witness to the struggle for equal treatment there.
1: I should say this is in 1964, this essay.
4: The officers and social action chairman of the conference did not respond. Of the entire assembly, only some 16 rabbis made the difficult journey south the rest, the overwhelming majority, stayed on in Atlantic City. So
1: did I. So let's just stop there for a minute. Somebody put the, what, what's happening? What's the scene? What's the scene? CCAR convention, Reform rabbis, and, and you know, in hindsight, Martin Luther King sends a telegram. Right? It's much. It's easy to be judgmental in hindsight, but he sends a telegram. Please help! Help! This is the Reform movement. And by the way, I'm fourth-generation reform, and I now consider myself part of all the movements. This is not about the reform movement. It could have been an Eddy conference. What do they do? They jump on a plane. They say, of course, it's civil rights. We're rabbis. We have to be there. We just preached about this. What do they do? So this is the beginning of his essay. He is going to want to understand why. How could religion fail in this moment, right? He's not going to find some easy answers. Let's, let's keep going. Um, can we just go around the room? Is that okay?
5: Okay. I must ask myself what the meaning of my refusal to answer Dr. King's call was, a refusal shared by nearly all my, all my colleagues on this and nearly every other occasion. On the face of it, my record is as good as anyone's. I have not only signed, it, but initiated petitions for equal housing I went on the Washington March in the spring of, in the summer of 1963, <clears throat> and another time visited my senator Everett Dirksen, help us. Um, <laughs> sorry, who informed me that clergymen had powerfully influenced his decision to support civil rights legislation. I have preached on the theme of racial justice ad n- nauseum. I have picketed a Jewish hospital together with black workers, asking for union recognition, though many angry board members of the hospital.
1: So he paragraph. goes on and on and on the whole paragraph is like all this stuff. That, he's actually quite legit, right? He's he he says, and yet I did not go to Saint Augustine. No. Okay, I didn't go. So now he wants to go deeper and he wants to look into why. Okay, next reader, yeah.
6: Talking to himself.
1: Uh, that's a great question. This is a public piece that he's writing, and it's in the uh, this book, which is. Uh, essays he wrote to the congregation, speeches he gave, sermons. So it's not like a journal entry, but I think he is really trying to get to the bottom of it. And I think, I, I actually think it takes some courage to use himself as an example. He's not saying, they all didn't go, I was excused because I've done all these other things. He's saying, none of us went. Does that answer your question? Moving
3: on.
1: It didn't answer your question.
3: Not really, it just sounds like he is the prosecuting attorney and the witness. Yes. And he's trying to make some sense based on his own experience as to why people stayed. Some went, but other people stayed.
1: Let's go deeper, and let's, let's, he's going to take it much further. And let's see where we go with it. And okay?
6: Well, he's positioning himself as the defendant as well.
1: Correct. Yes. I think that's what he's saying.
7: When did he write
1: this? 64.
7: Contemporaneously after the convention or after, a later? Yeah. Yeah.
1: A little bit later. Just a little bit later. Okay, let's keep going. Would you read?
8: Okay. The most obvious possible reason is that I was scared. It is perfectly true that I am afraid of violence and even more of jail. My friends who have come back from Jackson and St. Augustine and Birmingham did not look well, at least for a while. Even a short stay in a southern jail produces in most of my kind an hysteria, which often culminates in either mania or depression. But I do not think it was jail, I fear. I have risked more than jail for causes. I supported much less strongly than the one in question. I am no hero. But I've done my duty, even when it looked to cost more than this one did.
1: So he's, gonna, he's going through reasons, and he's rejecting. He's like, "You think maybe it's just maybe it's actually a very nice reason. I was scared." He said, "No, because I've done things harder than this." Um, so what? What is you know? He's going to say, "What is it?" Mm-hmm. And we're going to move pretty quickly through this first part, so we get to the meat of it. Will you read? Sure. Okay. Sorry, I don't know your names
9: one shared by nearly all my colleagues and in my opinion paradigmatic and all of the whole Jewish community is a deeper one it is more than the sum of my personal inadequacies it is wider than the total anxiety of the community it is not something we do when our worst natures take over it is an act for an unwillingness to act that comes from our whole existence
1: So so it's not something we do when our worst natures take over This is not something that is the bad side of me coming out. This is the real me. Okay, that's what he's going to say. Go ahead.
9: When I said no, it was a purer and more profound saying than any yes, which I had more superficially produced before. When I had said no, I meant it. No, I do not really wish to work with you. I do not wish to swing with you. I do not wish to go to jail with you. I do not wish to eat your food
1: or be one of you. Where do you think he's going?
10: Where do you think he's saying?
11: Is it racial? Yes. Wow.
1: He's saying, you know, I, wow. I have privilege. And if I'm really honest with myself, I don't know that I want to be. I don't want to change my privilege. I'm not ready to check my privilege or extend my privilege or share it.
10: or I don't. He has privilege as a white person. Correct. But as a Jew, that white privilege is somewhat reduced.
1: He's going to talk exactly about that. He's going to talk exactly about that. Good. Any other questions or thoughts before we move on?
11: I just want to say, why can't we say that he's really talking to both himself and to his Jewish
1: Yes, I think that's fair. I think rabbis, when we talk, we're always talking to ourselves, oh, to some, right? Yeah. sometimes we're more than we should be, right? Yeah. Okay, fair good. Rarely. Okay, let's keep going. Let's take our next reader.
12: As an American rabbi, I am inevitably and incurably bourgeois. I live off men who live off working men's work, entrepreneurs, ad men, promoters, small manufacturers, salesmen, tax experts who function in American society only to grease the wheels of capitalism. That very capitalism whose profits are squeezed <coughs> from the machines destined to replace the African-American as America's muscle. The American Jew is the most marginal and therefore the most loyal of capitalists. There you go.
1: He's going to start to get into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
12: He lives on the fringes of the large corporation doing its bidding on requests, defending its policies which keep him in the waiting room but rarely give him the executive key. And because he is not quite in and not quite out, he defends most passionately American free enterprise, the good life of Life magazine and the TV commercials, which he writes partly because he is so desperately needs to believe them, and the lily white suburb. The American Jew lives by his superiority to and distance from the African American and American poor, and I live off him. Both of us are terribly frightened by the new American revolution. Like most revolutions in the past, this one is likely to do the Jew no good.
1: Let's unpack this a little bit. He's, he's just getting started.
13: <laughs>
1: I, it told you, you don't have to like it. He would probably be happy. In fact, my dad told me, he used to say, the, Wolf used to say, the worst thing you can hear after you give a drosh, after you give a sermon, is nice sermon, Rabbi. <laughs> Better, they should say, I hate it. I'm quitting. How dare you? You know, he wanted to provoke. He wanted to engage. It was that important to him. So what is he saying here? What is he saying about his position, the Jewish position in society? Marginal. It's marginal, right? It's part in, part out. So that means that then, of course, we welcome the stranger and we go extra mile to help the person who is on the out, right?
9: And so, wouldn't that make sense that that would be the first place that the African American community would look?
1: Or that they could trust? They wouldn't even need to look. Marginal, but we benefit from it. That's what he's saying.
11: And that we're threatened by the civil rights movement yes. because we stand to lose even our marginality.
1: That's right. That's right. Because,
3: you know. because historically we're always the scapegoat when
1: there's any kind of revolution. There are many scapegoats, right?
9: Well, I, I kind of think about it in a different way than losing, losing, losing that marginality because of the civil rights movement meant that maybe the African Americans were then going to come on equal footing with this marginal Jewish population right. too. So then they wouldn't be, I mean, the, he wouldn't be, they wouldn't be working for him. So he'd lose his white superiority. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: right? There, he, he's saying, I'm afraid. I'm precarious in this society. I'm not in the club yet. The cool kids have not said I can stay. If I start extending my hand to these people, I might get kicked out. I'm vulnerable.
13: Right? Please. I think the key is, though, his last line, where he says, like most revolutions in the past, this one is likely to do the Jew no good. Right. And historically, he's absolutely right.
1: Mm-hmm. So, if it's a zero-sum game, but would we say that civil rights did the Jews no good?
13: No, you wouldn't say that. I understand what he's saying, that... But it's kind of like when you look at the extreme left or the extreme right, neither one really does the Jews much good.
1: Aha, aha, beautiful, beautiful. Right, and so now he wants to start having, he's going to start having an internal rhetorical argument of like why he shouldn't support civil rights. That's the next paragraph. What, can I have the next reader, please?
6: I have said we refuse because it would cost us too much to say yes. But will it not cost all white America a great deal, too? How can we concede to power-hungry, young demagogues of the African-American community the right to make our decisions? How can we support hospital strikes, stall that will clog the highways, meetings that denounce the mayor, fundraising enterprises whose funds are never accounted for, young radicals whose court death in the South provocatively and sometimes, we suspect, unnecessarily.
1: That's a good place to stop, actually. So he, did those arguments sound familiar to you in times where we are asked to help a a community that's more vulnerable than we are? Right? Like, why should I help them? Because, I mean, this is impractical, it's possibly dangerous, it's going to cause uh, job loss. It's it's actually going to affect me and my family. He's saying like we can't. This is going to be a problem for me. It's not even going to be a problem for me abstractly, as in I'll lose my privilege. It's going to be a problem for me like right here and right now because those kids are going to be in my kid's school. Oh,
7: I think he's- raising the consequences of not acting which is you're no longer part of the discussion and no longer have any say to it because if you're not part of it then you're considered the enemy. You're just like the white ruling class who are marginal to. He's raising the fundamental issue that where do your loyalties lie? If you concede to the radicals of the left or the right then you lose completely
1: on both sides. Right. And in those moments where decisions have to, where decisions are, like this is 1964, right, you might actually decide, I think I want to help, but it might go off the rails. There's no guarantee. It's actually quite dangerous, even if you step in. Yeah, but, you know, and, you, and your position is interesting. If you do nothing, then the crazies may take over.
7: It's like white southerner who was kept aside and the wedge between the black goods, well you're better than them because of the color of your skin. There you no know, unions and you don't earn any money and your girlfriends are pregnant and there's no medical care but you're still better. And how do you transpose beyond that mm-hmm. and align with the other people and he's saying Jews are marginalized. He's written Jews couldn't get jobs at General Motors and couldn't get jobs in bank
1: just starting to break in. Yes. More. 64. Yeah.
7: Three generations ago, a change in American
1: business. That's right. That's right. Which is why, by the way, this whole essay is even more brave, that he would put this out in public. Was there another hand that I see? Okay. Um, are we ready to go on? Okay. Next. Let's, so it says, How can a convinced bourgeois?" ever support an authentic revolution. Meaning, like, if I finally have my place, how could I actually want this change? Things are precarious enough as they are. Right? Um, Next reader.
3: If he does what he believes he should, he cannot. He will find good reasons not to. He will approve of interrogation.
11: Integration.
1: It's late.
3: he will approve of integration, but oppose every possible step toward it. He will support nonviolence, which <clears throat> ensures his own skin, but never participate in direct, ac- direct action. He will listen to the sermons of Martin Luther King and cherish their homiletical skill.
1: Homiletical skill, like their sermonic skill. It's a fancy word for sermons.
3: Harmony. Yeah. Hom- hom-
1: hom- hom- homiletical. Mm-hmm.
3: I did good
1: in pharmacy. School. <laughs> I it, I make everyone read out loud, so I'm not so lonely.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: It's not Hebrew though. This afternoon we did Hebrew, so it's you know. See
3: Hebrew, I can mess up. They wouldn't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But he will not do what they ask him
1: to do. I mean that's a searing line, right? And I have said to my community, stop holding up pictures of. This, I say this now of, of Martin Luther King marching with Heschel, like that. we, we need to move beyond that to what's happening now outside, right? It's easy to listen to, I had a dream, and the tears well up, but what what we do, right? I'm bringing it to now, but he's talking about then. Yes.
3: The bourgeois Jew will hold art fairs for civil rights organizations and not demand to know where the money goes because he does not really care. It is the show, the pseudo action of support that counts for us, not the deeper Negation is, is masks.
1: What, what, is, what is the deeper negation? What are we masking with the pseudo-support?
3: We're, 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 we're masking that we're really not on the front line doing something about it. Fear.
1: But exactly, exactly.
3: Our minds and our hearts are fearful. Our minds and our hearts and our fearful flesh agree with the african American that he should be made to behave in a way protective of our own imperiled success. That is to say, he should remain our slave. <laughs> Boy.
10: So you know what's bothersome to me? Good, good, bring it. <laughs>
1: I can't believe there's only one.
10: <laughs> well, okay, so as Jews, we're always accused of you know, money and Jews, right? Yeah. So in the early parts of the paragraphs, he talks about raising money for SNCC and NACP. NACP. Yeah. Yeah. So it's money. And here he talks about raising money. Yeah. <laughs> but. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's very bothersome to me. Yeah. Because yeah. Because it, it feeds into what people.
1: Yeah, you wish think. he'd pick some other examples. What What is he saying when he says the African American should behave in a way protective of our own imperiled success? It means we help, but. Spell it out. Put it in English. Yeah. Well, it sort of means that
5: they should be grateful to us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, the central theme that I'm getting at is, yeah. is power.
1: Yes. Um, Beautiful.
5: And it, it comes out of a, a number of the paragraphs that, that you know, that they're making decisions. We lose control. Yeah. Uh,
1: uh-huh. Uh-huh. And
5: we don't know where that's going to go. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, and I think this was a big part of the, conflict between the Jews and the African-Americans in the civil rights movement is...
1: Well, I know you're going to have Professor Mark Dollinger, one of my dearest friends, who's going to come and talk about his book, um, Black Black Power and Jewish Power. I think Black and Jewish Power. So you're going to get a lot on that. But you're right. There is definitely something about power. And we have some power. And we have the choice to share it completely and give it away. And we choose to do like wear a t-shirt, right? Or listen to the music. But when it really comes down to like get on a plane and get your butt to St. Augustine and maybe put yourself in harm's way or who knows, no one's going. And he's saying this is actually part of a larger truth that people are not articulating. So he he is relentless. Yes.
9: It just reminds me that I... Several years ago, I remember Temple High, uh, somebody from AJWS came yeah. and spoke about Darfur. And, yeah. um, you know, we all rushed to buy the t-shirts. Yeah, that's you do right. We stand idly by right. and everything. Right, so, yeah. You know, and then what, then, then what did we do?
1: Right, right, right. And I think the reason we're all like a little uncomfortable now is because it's uncomfortable. And like a good teacher, he's maybe pulling off the veil and saying, if you want to say you are being a part of bettering society, that's going to take some risk on your part. It's going to take some sacrifice.
3: But he's pulling it off on himself as well. For sure. It's pretty easy to, to take that like Yeah. You're talking to the devil on his shoulders. Yeah. And ignoring the other side. Yeah. He's
7: yeah. He's also referring to
3: a zero-sum game. Mm. Not
12: an extreme
7: expanding set of rights, Mm -hmm. but protective of our success, like it's not expanding so much. That's right. We
1: give
7: up. Right. It's not there's an expanding universe of people. That's right. It's a a 1960s static economy, static
1: political.
7: Right. If I give up something, if someone else gets something, I lose it. Right. Right. It's the demagoguery of the 1950s
1: you still hear it now, though, you know, should we segregate, you know, should we should we bring, should we bus kids into schools, should we open up borders, should we allow this group to have access to these jobs? Still, we still talk that way, and well, we and, about, and you know, I think... We talk
3: that way in a big group, Mm-hmm. He's really, I think he's talking about us individually.
1: In the Jewish community. Uh, oh, as individuals. As individuals. Mm-hmm, hmm you
3: know, you're, you're, forgive me for going too long, but... No. Uh, if, 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 I was never in the army, but if, if you're in the army and you're in a battle yeah. and, uh, and your troop is caught and yeah. you make it out, Yeah. they're saying, well, aren't you going to go back in and pull somebody else out? Right. Right, right, that,
1: right, right. That, right, right. that, that is the
3: right. superhero part right. of, of
1: trying to be yeah. human. Yeah. And it, hopefully there's another way to look at it, right? So it's not a zero-sum game. Like, it's okay, Right. We can we can bring more people to the table, but it's it's um, he he doesn't want to let us off the hook with just buying a t-shirt. It is sort of
5: there is a zero sum part to
1: this. Absolutely, I would say there still is. I think there's some truth to that zero sum. I'm going to be I'm going to be I'm going to push us a little bit, right? If you have an institution and you allow new people into that institution, and there's only so many places in that institution. You're going to have to make some choices. You might be able to grow the institution bigger, but you might not. And I think that there is um, there is some truth to that. What do you think?
7: <laughs> There's a lot about colleges today.
1: Okay, sure.
7: Legacies. Sure. Oxford and Cambridge, 10, 15 years ago, abolished legacy premise uh, privilege completely. Guess what? Didn't matter. The issue of, well, I want to change the society, but I want my granddaughter to get in. Yep. The legacy. Yep. And that's the eternal conflict. Right. That you cannot look at what's going on in the New York City schools with science, et cetera.
1: Yeah. 7%. And the easy
7: answer is change who gets in. The hard answer is why are the schools failing to get kids educated enough to go to the schools? The easy solution is let the top 10% of every school go in, which is what happened in Texas if you yeah 10% in any high school get into the U of T. Mm-hmm. See, people move to crappy neighborhoods to get their kids into high school in their junior year. So they go to the University of Texas, but right. they can't get in if they live in Austin. Right, right, right. And that's right. the unattended consequence. Right,
1: right. And it's a whole your, system. Your,
7: right. Move neighborhoods and send the kids to bad schools doesn't work that way, but right, right, you're not addressing the fundamental problem you need to expand the universe because, as you said, it's still, I don't think it's static, it's it's, it's contracts at times.
1: -hmm. Interesting, okay, let's keep going. Would you read? Yeah, it was very pleasant to be someone's master to lecture Dr. King
2: as a Birmingham rabbi did. Like that mouse with the revolutionaries as the best of us do. It is very stimulating to sing the freedom songs and march in the freedom marches as I have done. And then retire to a suburban study to read Heidegger and Regress. It is reassuring to do what I want to do and be able to believe it is the right thing I am doing. It is much easier to write about not going to St. Augustine than to go.
1: Read one more paragraph because he's going to finish out this idea.
2: So, we have the enormous literature of Jewish affirmation negation, the pretentious inanities of official rabbinic pronouncement, the pathetic false starts of the congregational soc- social action committees.
1: I mean, he's skewering us.
2: Wow. The reservations, <laughs> the posturings, the agonizing, and the lies. With all our philosophic and literary talents, <coughs> Our American
1: Jewish literature is utterly banal on the revolution. Not banal, banal. banal, you got it it. got it.
2: it cannot learn to say what it cannot believe, so it wallows in poignant irrelevance.
3: Well, this is like Rund- <laughs> <laughs>
1: the other So far, all he's done is critique, and critique very strongly. The next sentence is going to be the beginning of his idea. He's going to say it in the negative, but it's important, and he's going to build on it. Do you want to take it? Sure. Okay. What we cannot believe is that God is a revolutionary. So, st- st- so, So right now, he's bringing in some important ideas. Number one, he's bringing in God. Number two, he's bringing in the idea that God is a revolutionary, that God is, um, wants social justice. Okay, so you can see if you argue with him or not, but we'll, and we'll see where he takes it, but this is going to be very important. Go ahead. Yeah, we can't believe it, but that's the oh, fact. Oh, okay, okay, okay. hmm
2: So long as we act by our lights, we shall act poorly, because our insights are really self-interest and our convictions mere rationalizations. Marx meant us when he said we do what makes us rich and believe what <coughs> lets us what lets us do. Freud meant us when he said that words do not express so much as suppress that only acts can dissipate ambivalence. Our whole hope of wholeness is to find an Archimedean point, a place of relation in which we do not merely express our private wish, but are revealed and commanded and empowered.
1: Okay, so let's let's unpack this a little bit. What is he saying? Why do we need a God so far? Why do we need God, according to Wolf?
5: Go beyond our self-interest.
1: To go so beyond correct. the right. way you Yeah. All of our rationalizations. Yeah. Because we're going to do what makes us secure and comfortable and create very elaborate arguments for why that's the right thing to do. Why doing the other thing is dangerous. Why, go, you know, why risking is, is, is non-essential. And what, we will just continue to buttress and bolster ourselves. Do you like it? He says, our whole hope of wholeness is to find an Archimedean point, a place of relation in which we do not merely express our private wish, mm-hmm. but are revealed and commanded and empowered. This is a Reformed rabbi, by the way, 1964. He says, our only hope out of this is to get a commandment that shakes us out of our, our like, cat and mouse game with ourselves. The only way for me to get to St. Augustine is if I say God is making me because I will never make myself. What do you think so far?
3: I think it was surprising that you just said it's a reformed rabbi. Yes. Because I would never expect this to be an orthodox rabbi. Right. So I'm not surprised it's a reformed rabbi. I'm
1: kind of proud of it. Yes, of course, of course. The reason I'm saying it's a reformed rabbi because he's talk about being commanded, yeah. which is not traditionally where the reform movement went in 1964. Right?
11: But isn't that what mitzvah
1: means? Mitzvah means to be commanded. To be commanded. Nachan. Exactly, exactly. And they were called on to to do a mitzvah and they refused. Yes, that's the way of thinking it. That's the wolf way of thinking of it. Yes.
13: And Heschel wasn't a reformed rabbi. Of course, he always says that he was a Jew without a label. Correct. And he worked with in the reform movement and
1: the conservative movement. Well, so Heschel is. the the part of two Hasidic dynasties. He's raised completely Hasidic. And when he comes to this country, he serves in both the conservative and reformed seminaries, but is really an outcast in both and never finds a home. But he marries this sort of Hasidic activism. And I think what Heschel shares here with Wolf or what Wolf is sharing with Heschel is a sense that there's no way that God could not be involved in something this if this much justice is going on, God must be involved. It's impossible to think otherwise. And so then the question is, how do we respond to God in that way? Yeah, yeah.
3: Does he think that because that, that much justice is beyond normal human nature? That-
1: he's going to actually say, so hold on to that question. It's a good question. Who's reading? Because now he's going to go into... Um, really going, uh, he's now going to cr- critique organized Jew- different organized Jewish strains and um, their lack of response. Who, who's reading? I, f- I lost track. Do you want to read?
7: Liberal Judaism quite easily distinguished. Early. Early. Quite early. Distinguished sharply the prophetic teaching of social justice and more profoundly prophetic poetry.
1: of So there's two modes prophetic poetry of encounter, like prayer, and a prophetic teaching of social justice that might sound familiar to you as, like, religious and ethical.
7: hmm The liberals have tried to believe for 100 years there was no personal God, and
1: Deutero. Deutero. It's like Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. He so, said, yeah, we liberals, we got rid of the personal God. Okay, keep going. though.
7: our own theological convictions have come home to lose. God who is my own my own best nature is not God enough. My own best nature does not care much about the African American or the poor, a God whose idea or process or mere or mere tradition is a god out of thing, and a historic deity who could not care less about Americans in the revolution simply because he cannot care. We have built our action programs and the shifting sands and humanist caprice and no wonder. A rumbling down about our
1: so, so let's unpack that. What's he saying here? What's he saying here about the liberal God that we created? How would you describe that liberal God, first of all?
6: Maybe humanistic.
1: Yeah, like humanistic, probably coming out of the Reconstructionists, like Kaplan, uh, process and idea, our best interests, very abstract our collective best connection, maybe a little boober thrown in, right? So what's a problem with that? What's what's Wolf's problem with that god? That sounds pretty nice. It's not high enough. Okay, not high enough? That god is apathetic. That god is it is the god apathetic, but I think the key thing is that god cannot care less because he cannot care, meaning how does process care? Process the, pro, Process can't care. It's process. Right? Yeah? Yeah? Were you going to say something? I was just going to say, he's not commanded. There's no command. There's no personal, and there's no command. This is very Heschel. This is Heschel. I think there's there's a lot of crossover with Heschel. Yeah. Yeah. Other thoughts about this so far? Right? So he's basically throwing, like, all of Reconstructionist theology, a lot of humanist theology, anything, Right? To the left of Heschel, he just threw it out, okay? But wait, he's not done. <laughs> um, this is so fun because you guys don't even know me. I teach a lot of nice things too, I really. Things. Sweet things, <laughs> I'm very pleasant on Shabbat. Um, who, who will read next? Would you read? Okay. That's the
14: form rabbinic pronounce. some years
1: back. <laughs> right, I mean, I mean, I think that's, it's stunning what he's saying. Right? He's saying, what's, why do we need Judaism? Let's just go to be Democrats. Right? Okay. He's
13: got,
3: to be, he's got to be turning, given the circumstances.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Our reform
14: movement divides between the various theological neo-traditionalists on the one hand,
1: You don't have to read the names. Okay,
14: on the neo-traditionalists on the one hand, who are silent in controversy and vote Republican.
1: Okay, so we have theological neo-traditionalists, people who love the tradition, and when there's a controversy, what do they do? Shh, and they vote Republican. They stay traditional, okay?
14: And the flaming liberals on the other, who (laughs) issue mysticism and want to get about the important business of making
1: religious action come true. So you got the people who are silent in controversy and vote Republican, and on the other hand, flaming liberals who don't want anything mysticism, that's like in quotes, because it's like anything having to do with tradition or prayer, that's crazy mysticism, and I just want to have acting. Like, come on, let's get some social action here. Forget about the rest of it. So nobody's safe so far. He's, he's skewered everybody. Okay?
14: Both sides are finally disappointed. The old-fashioned theologians who produce no disciples because they could not connect their word with their, God, with their God. They don't speak up, and the liberals who have only the same old political liberalism to sell because they know no teaching God to teach them. Because they know no teaching God to teach them. Something.
1: I mean, this this is so powerful to me. Old-fashioned theologians who have no disciples because they can't connect their Torah to the street. They can't make it live. And then you have people who just are putting a Jewish gloss on what they already believed because they have found it in their liberalism. And they haven't availed themselves to be challenged by a teaching God, a God that would say, no, you're commanded. Not just to go to St. Augustine, by the way, but maybe try keeping kosher or keeping your mouth shut instead of gossiping or you know a whole range of things. Yes.
9: Wouldn't we be surprised today to see what has happened with the old-fashioned traditionalists who are saying cannot connect their theology to the streets, that the Orthodox movement has blown up, so to speak, and you know, that there's more followers than ever?
1: There's more children and children's children. But I don't, I actually think in terms of the religious pie, the biggest winner right now is the nuns. That's my, that's my bread and butter. Yeah.
3: John, if I can ask your opinion, up till this point, do you think this is is, is as applicable to Israel as it is to us?
1: Oh, what a great question. Um... I, the answer is I don't know Israel. I know many, many Israelis, and I have lots of opinions about Israel, but I don't know internally Israel well enough to know. I don't, I'm not, I don't understand the different strains and movements, and frankly, the movements there are so different. And I think secular Jews are a huge block in a way that they're not here. Yeah. Uh, would you keep reading?
14: orthodox circles. On the one hand, disciples of traditional theologies who cannot speak to the pushis of their time.
1: So he's saying a key piece of being a religious Jew is connecting heaven and earth, making what you do in the shul count on the street. And he's saying there's a whole group of people who are really good in shul and they haven't figured out how to make it count on the street. And then, in case you thought you were safe, on yes,
14: the other, the perpetually up-to-date who cannot convince because they merely, merely enunciate and never discover because their words speak louder than their acts.
1: That even the activists are kind of like saying a lot of platitudes, but they're not actually doing much either.
10: But he's talking about himself. Yes, and many,
1: many well, others. I
10: mean, he, I, I give money, I, I do these things. Yes, when, when asked correct. Act, he didn't act.
1: Correct. No, correct. This is, this is a sermon that was one of the first questions. Who's the sermon for? Now it's your turn to
10: read. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. The radical isolation of God from man, the loss of mitzvah, the refusal to see our own time as God's kerygma, has castrated us and left us powerless to act. <clears throat> what one sees in the <clears throat> black revolution is people not trying to get what they want. Do you want me to read that? In yeah. Yes, Dr. please. King has more to gain elsewhere, even the very poor have their lives to lose. But seeking what they might have been made to know is wanted on high. The revolt of the underprivileged against us who are overprivileged is not simply a war for redress; it is also incipient revelation.
1: So what he's trying to say is that. We're not acting, we're not going to St. Augustine, not because we're afraid or not even just because we're trying to protect our status. It's because we don't know how to respond to mitzvahs anymore. I mean, it's a really interesting pairing. Um, He's saying the people who are involved in civil rights, they're not there because they want more privilege even. They're there because God wants them there. They're responding to God. That's what he's saying. He's saying the, yeah. the, their revolt, it's not that they want mm. equality even, it's also they see it as revelation, living revelation.
11: For us. He's, they're, they're he's saying for the... To sim- help us see ourselves better.
1: Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. I
5: think
1: that last line is amazing. Yeah,
11: yeah.
5: yeah. yeah. They represent revelation of God's word almost. It's
1: just you know. I mean, I um I just heard an activist talk about a, a very um, frightening moment of courage that she had to, you know, she had to stand up in front of like millions of people, right? And she thought about the piece of Torah where when we're crossing the sea, it, you know, it's we say, Ze'eli, this is my God. Right? And it says in Torah, and it says in Midrash, that everybody who crossed the sea saw God, saw actual God. And um, they even say in the Midrash that the lowest person on the totem pole, which is funny to me because we were slaves, but anyway, even the lowest person, the maidservant, saw God more clearly in that moment than even the greatest prophets would later on. Because there was something about the risk of leaving and crossing the sea, and the, um, the that moment that allowed people to have a revelation. And so, I think it is an interesting lens for us to consider: how might God be living now in our world? How might we have that kind of a moment? What would that be like? What if we thought in that way? Would we get on more planes to St. Augustine? Would we use our money differently? Right? And he's going to get to some of these things. Or not.
10: Anyone else want to say anything?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Anybody else want to say anything else? Should we keep going? Mm -hmm. Okay, keep going.
11: Uh, We Jews are ambivalent because in our heart of hearts, we think we are free. The African American is emancipated because he has discovered that no man, but only God, rules. Nonviolent direct action is an affirmation of the kingship of God, that God alone is power, but that we are yet commanded to act.
1: These are hard sentences here, but see if we can stick with it. Nonviolent direct action is an affirmation of God, that God is power, but we have to respond. That's what he's saying. When, when someone is, is participating in this way, they are understanding it as a religious act. Go ahead.
11: Judaism has become violent non-action, a principled inactivity which profiting from the exploitation of other men is therefore built on violence and force.
1: So, yeah. so we have these two. I mean, this is very, very strong. Nonviolent direct action is an affirmation of God and we have to act. Judaism has become violent non action, a principled inactivity, which profiting from the exploitation of other people is therefore built on violence and force. All your arguments and all your staying in your own privilege or, or privilege or however you want to think about it, keeping the status quo, is a type of violence. That type of keeping things stable is a type of violence, he's say.
10: See, so in the first sentence, we Jews are ambivalent because in our heart of hearts we think we are free. I don't feel like that goes with everything because what? if we really thought we were free, why wouldn't we step out and defend others? Interesting. So I, to me that sentence... Yeah, it doesn't fit. No.
1: Okay, good, good. Anyone else? Let's finish out this paragraph.
11: The African-American defies police power and fierce human opposition to obey God. We are loyal to our privileged communities and seek better police protection, while by every act and by every refusal we defy God. Thus is revealed how we have lost that sense of commandment by which alone, and not easily in any case, a man or a people can transcend themselves and learn to fulfill other people's needs before and even in opposition to their own.
1: I think this is important. He's saying the reason commandment is so important. Remember in the beginning when he said Freud was talking about us and Marx was talking about us and basically if left to our own devices, we just create stories and narratives that bolster and rebolster our own security and our own position? He's saying commandment is the key to getting out of it. Commandment, learning how only, he says, um, that's where we learn to transcend yourself and you fulfill other people's needs before and even in opposition to their own, right? So it, I'm going to Shiva. Why do I want to go to a Shiva? Not particularly, but I have, I have to go. They need me there, right? I, I'm, going, I'm going to the hospital. By the way, not because I'm a rabbi, because I'm a Jew, I'm going to the hospital. Why am I going to the hospital? Because I'm going to help somebody. Why? I have other things to do. But you go, right? There's a stranger in the community who needs a place for Shabbat. I'm opening my house. I have a French exchange student at my house right now. My kids are sleeping on trundle beds. It's a nightmare over at my house. Why? Because you, you welcome the guests, right? That's how you learn. That's how you inculcate the idea that we don't just live for ourselves. Yeah.
6: Okay, so the question is, where do you draw the line? Mm. So you go, you visit somebody in the hospital, mm-hmm. and then you come home and have dinner and go to bed
1: yep. in your house yep. with a
6: roof over your head.
1: Yep. But you
6: could have visited somebody else in the hospital later.
1: Yep. And you could have gone
6: to the yep. homeless shelter yep. and held up tents over people's heads Yep. From 6 to 9 p.m.
1: Yep. And then
6: from 9 p.m. to 2 a.m., you could have gone to another hospital. Yes,
1: yes, yes. So I I want to say two things. One is my community will often say to me, not about ethical things like you just said, but about ritual things. Like, where does this stop? We're all going to become ultra-Orthodox. And I'm like... Hello, you are the most secular people in the entire world. I am not worried about you going off the ultra-Orthodox bend. I'm worried about you never doing a mitzvah at all in your lives. <laughs> but the first thing somebody says is like, well, what if I say this prayer? Then I might say this prayer. You know, and so I think it's a natural thing to be like, where does it stop? And my first like, very practical answer would be like, not to worry. That's not a problem.
6: I think he's saying it is. Yeah. He, he's
1: saying, yes. he's saying
6: you know, oh we go back to our own suburbs afterwards
1: yeah 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 so i see what like, you're well, saying you're saying Let how do move we know into the homeless
6: shelter there yeah yeah, Sell yeah. The
1: house. but but here's the second thing that i'm going to say this is why mitzvah is located in tradition and community i don't make it up you don't make it up the community sets a standard is it 10% for Tztaka? okay it's 10% if it's 2% gross, okay, it's 2% gross. And I think this is where La Dorvador, generation to generation, community, is very important. That's why things like this is very are very important. Because you can sustain a dialogue so that when those conversations come down the pike, you have a conversation about it. And you're not left to your own resources. Yes?
9: But he's also saying that no one can do anything. I mean, we're almost immobile. We can't do anything without hearing it or having the commandment from God. In other words, We're not in charge of ourselves.
1: Yeah, he is saying that.
9: We're only doing things because...
1: He is saying that, which sounds very hard to a modern ear. But, But we're so used to being completely independent, like don't even tell me to wear my seatbelt type of people, that it might be interesting to consider how we might live differently were we to submit and be humble in front of some of these commandments as a community as a thought exercise what, what how would our social action look different if we ha- if we all had to do it right so um, there's great things and difficult things about all the different stripes and strains of tradition and believe me I've met them all but one of the things I can tell you in a more traditional community is they're not like waiting for people to sign up to do the la 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 because everybody has to do it there's so much social pressure that you are you have to right there's social pressure and there's a sense of being commanded and so i just think of it as a big gradation so if right now we're like almost as close as you can be to being like fully independent and we only do what we ourselves want what happens if we move the needle this far right what if we what if we move it this far well, i'm not i'm not going to prescribe anything i get i get on a plane tomorrow i go home but I think it's interesting for us to not be afraid of the idea of mitzvah and of being commanded and of to see it as a potential resource even for activism, which is what I think he's putting together. So
9: do you tell your community then that, okay, don't worry about following all 613 commandments. Let's just do two or, you know,
13: this.
1: I always tell them to do more than they're doing. Yes.
13: Okay, so it's 55 years later right now. Yes. Uh, there seems to be just as much injustice Yes. Directed towards different people than it was then. Yes. Uh, you know, where do we go? Uh, I'll just tell you a very brief story that happened to me last year. Yeah. Uh, when the story first came out, we were locking up kids in cages and separating from their families. The only person who spoke out in our community, really, with a big voice, was Rob Shmuel. So I decided to call Jewish Federation because I yeah. supported them for over 40 years. Yeah. I said, will you guys say something?
1: Yeah. Just make a statement saying Yeah. Yeah.
13: And the answer I got was no, because we'll offend our Trump supporters. We yeah, too much money for them. Yeah, we will lose. Yeah, I sympathize with you. Yeah, Not too bad.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I still
13: support separation in our way. Uh
1: huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and
13: where's that one out of four rabbis? How about one out of, one, yeah, of yeah, yeah. one out of thirty rabbis who speaks up.
1: Yeah. I think the questions that that brings up are the questions that he's bringing up. Like, what is this all about? What is this for? If we're we're building Jewish community, for what? Why? And if we can't act together when we're put to the test, doesn't that make us reflect differently about ourselves? In such a large and robust Jewish community as you have here, it seems like there could be lots of places where some of those pronouncements or those people could stand and step forward. And I think, I think your point is well taken. And I think you have a right to be upset. And not in any particular person or agency. I'm not going to do that. But I do think it might be worth it to say, hey, the, now it's cooled down. It's six months later. Could we have a conversation about this so that next time it comes? Or could I set up a fund so that so and so won't get fired if they go out on a limb, right? Or could I set up a different fund over here so that if this big organization won't say something, there's this one that might. Right? Supporting Rav Shmuley is a is a great way to do that and others. Yeah. Money's a huge part of this. Money and power. Back to power. Okay, we're just gonna we're gonna wrap it up because we're almost out of time. I'm I'm supposed to end. Um, we're gonna skip. Skip to the next page. You can read the rest, that part on your. Let's look at when the Messiah comes.
6: When the Messiah comes, he will not find the Jews ready because we have not a committee charged with discovering the man of the millennium.
1: I think that's a typo. We have not made a committee charged with discovering the man of the millennium, so we won't be able to find the Mashiach.
9: Yes.
6: What is more to the point, we do not want to know where the revolution moves and by whom, but we guess by a racial intuition or just plain common sense. That where thousands are gathered in God's name, God too is there. I
1: think that's a very powerful line.
9: Mm-hmm.
1: And he's saying, we, we're running. That was what the paragraphs before that were. You know, we don't actually want anyone to tell us. We, we, we already have a sense that we're missing something. Um,
11: I don't understand the yeah. first sentence.
1: The, when the Messiah comes.
11: We're, I, I, okay, he's making...
1: He's he's An being yeah.
11: flipped. We don't have the Messiah committee. Oh, what, what is right. this, this so how, how will we know? What's the man of the millennium? The Messiah. The Messiah.
1: Is that that's <laughs> what he means by that. Oh, yeah. A way. Yeah, it's, a, it's a sort of like a he's taking a literary turn there. All right, we have so much to do. Let's keep going. Let's and and it's going to get a little bit tough. So who wants to read next? <laughs> Would you read? No. Okay. Would you read? I don't. I, oh, sorry. Do you want to be skipped, or do you want me to show you?
15: Well, I have one comment to make. Okay. I'm a survivor of the Newark riots in New Jersey. Yes. I was in the National Guard. Yes. almost got killed from radical African Americans. Yes. I'm riding up and down on the main street. Yep. They're throwing Molotov cocktails at us. Yep. Rocks. Yep. Bullets, everything else. They gave us M1 carbines with no ammunition. Wow. And I said to my lieutenant, I said, what do I use this rifle for? It's a club? She said, well, we don't want to hurt anybody. Uh Meanwhile, he got hit in the head with a Molotov cocktail. I, I don't even know if he survived. Wow. Newark, New Jersey, this happened four or five years after all this started. Yeah. They marched up and down the street and yep. burned all the stores, yep. the Jewish merchants. Yep. To this day, yep. all the Jewish people evacuated the city of Newark and went yep. to the outskirts. Yep. To this day, yep. Newark is shot. You yep. can't get out of your car in Newark. If yep. you leave Newark Airport, mm-hmm. try to walk around in Newark, you'll get killed. Right. This is the civil rights. Yep. And it bothered me because... Yep. Yeah, I almost got killed. With eight years in the National Guard, yep. I had a year to go. Yep. I was called up for a month and a half. Yep. with these riots. Yep. yep, I'm a little Jewish boy with yeah. no ammunition, nothing, yeah. and they're throwing rocks at me. Yeah, what did I do to them? Yeah, yeah. And and everybody said, oh, they're beautiful people." Well, right not to me. Right, right. If you went through the riots, right, you wouldn't feel the way you feel. Right. I lived through it.
1: No, I'm I'm very. And I blo- moved
15: away. My parents sold the home. Uh-huh at a loss to get yeah. away from them. Yeah. And that's the city of Newark.
1: Yeah. So is there yeah. an answer?
15: Yeah, there is. What's the answer?
1: Well first of all I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> because know. because you are showing us this isn't play. This isn't pretend.
0: This, this is, is real. Life. This I went is real.
1: It. I
15: lived through. It. This
1: is real. And Bruch Hashem you lived. Yeah. And the question then becomes in addition to the pain and the suffering that we hold very close, and you'll get to know me. I'm not afraid to um, be close to that. Nor do, I, nor do I see everything as like fairies and everybody's perfect. I, I think we have a, a, the job that Wolf is asking us to do is to hold on to that pain, the fear of losing real things, life. And when I say privilege, that's a big fancy word, but a place for my kid to go to school, a, a safe home. Hold on to that, but then also hold on to what does God ask of me in this moment? What might the world be? How how could I make a step towards making that
15: world? I don't know. I, I don't know. know. To me, it's a big question. It's a
1: big question.
15: And then it took a toll on me. Of
1: course, I was of in course. College.
15: I had a, I couldn't go to school. I'm marching yeah. up and down Springfield Avenue. Yeah. And people throwing rocks and bottles of cocktails at me. Yeah. For what? What yeah. if i Jewish? Yeah. Mean, yeah. Why? Yeah. They don't know I'm Jewish. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 I'm and, glad you brought we had that up. Another
15: rabbi in our town, Rabbi Dresner. Yeah. Because you're familiar with him, I had long conversations with him about it.
1: Uh-huh. And, uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. He said, "Well,
15: what can I tell you? That's Newark
1: Huh. I, I would say, I would say revolutions are messy.
15: Very messy. If you, if you On both it, sides. On to, both to sides. You about it and see it in the book, but to live through it is another story. That's
1: right. Let's read because I actually think he's going to say something not exactly but connected, and I know we have to wrap up soon. Do you want to read? Or no. Okay. Do you want to read? Okay. Okay. To meet God.
8: To meet God is to face annihilation and rebuke. It is to be cast into the dust and hurled to the sky and again cast down.
1: It's horrible.
8: It costs a lot of money. It hurts. It undercuts all the comfortable and conformist housing that we use to cover us against the rain. It lashes us with a wind of awful rushing force. It sends us back to the Bible, no longer critical and cool, but whimpering for a word of consolation. It sends us back to the, con- to the synagogue, not for bar mitzvah and self-congratulation, but for atonement and instruction. Hmm. It sends us back to our own loved ones, surprised that they have not been swept away by the vengeance of a just God. Hmm.
1: So, so he's saying God is not cute, and this is not fun. This is actual, I mean, to me, honest, the story you're telling me reminds me of a lot of my friends in Israel who are serving, who are really struggling. It's life and death. And yet we have to figure out what kind of a world we want it to be, what kind of a world do we want for our children. It's also our responsibility, you know. Hmm. Other things from this? To face rebuke, it hurts, it costs money. Yes?
9: I
5: think what you brought up is really important because yeah. it talks to what you do in different moments. Yes. In the moments when people are throwing rocks at you and are rebelling and are burning down your house, it's not the time when you are supposed to lay down and die. Yes. Nobody is saying that. But most of our moments are not that. Yeah. Most of our moments we have have privilege and other choices. Uh huh. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that those moments
1: Mm -hmm. be commanded. Mm -hmm. Nice. Beautiful. Right. There's different moments. Beautiful. Um, Next reader, would you read? Where it says, I owe this God something on the last page. Now he's going to go to how we serve this God. And it goes to your question of how much. Last Last page, page, second second paragraph. paragraph. Yes, please.
12: I owe this God something, a type of my money, a tenth part of the total budget of Congregational and Communal Funds. A building one-tenth as fine as our own building, built by us, for us. A tenth of the time I would rather spend playing or reading or basking in the affluence that mistakenly God has given me. Concern. Concern for one poor person, one black person, for all poor people, for all the hidden disadvantaged. Mm-hmm. Please keep going. But I must not
1: pay. Agodically, which means like in terms of the midrash, like narrative, fancifully.
12: Out of the goodness of my crooked heart or the shame of my acquisitive community rather holocratically, legally as a constituent requirement for membership in the community as dues financial and moral for the privilege of being youth. of every 10 words i write or speak or publish one must be for those not of my skin or condition formally unimpassioned found unsentimentally relentlessly i must pay
1: So so he's saying where he's ending up is, I owe. Part of the humility in the system of saying God is up here and I'm here and I'm commanded at the end of the day, I owe. This is something I have to say. I work with Gen X and millennials. We haven't taught this very well to the the newer generations. The people in this room know about owing. I feel, I feel you do. Maybe, I hope you do, right? I'm like, no, you just do. Of course you do. You, we, otherwise, there's no community. There's no larger whole if we each only do for ourselves. And so, the end of it, and he's not picking one tenth randomly, that's Torah. And everyone is going to figure that out in a different community in a different way. But he's saying it's very important that I don't make it up. It's not that I did it because I felt I was good. It's not that I did it because that's what I wanted to do or because I got the bonus. I did it because that's what I do, that is what is commanded. That is what it means to be a Jew.
12: No,
6: and he answered my comment from before. Yes. You don't have to give 90%. <laughs> right.
1: Exactly. 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 And by the way, Rambam would say anything over 20%, it will harm much, you.
11: Right. You shouldn't harm
9: yourself. Perfect.
1: Yeah. Please.
9: It's interesting that he talks about the physical, a physical Yeah. Yeah. That that's his first thing. And then eventually he gets to concern for the other I mean, he's saying, you know, I mean, maybe that was the mentality.
1: But think but about, about it. Time. You yeah. know, we are not building a building at the kitchen. Right. Real estate in San Francisco is insane. But one of the things I say is that money I would take to build that space. Because it's so insane there. It's not like here. I can't justify that that would make Jewish life or justice. Right. Would just be another big building. Right. That's and true. so if I get twenty million dollars, I would like twenty rabbi I'd like I twenty endowments for twenty rabbis. I mean and so it, he's picking the building because he's hitting it home, literally.
7: It's another aspect of that. It wasn't till the fifties, late fifties in the southern the, the congregations built on the main street in town mm. build buildings. Mm go back to the synagogues I grew up in Merrick. The original synagogue in Merrick was on a side street.
1: Uh-huh, interesting. Had
7: a stay. It wasn't to the middle sixties aha. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. Jews felt comfortable, comfortable. in American society. Interesting. The Reform synagogue was built yeah. next to the Catholic Church. Right. It's a very big right, you right. Know, you go there on Shabbat, you go there. So the concept of building the same. now was a very the building funds were very critical.
1: Right, right, right.
7: It's not like the end of the city, Brooklyn, there's Right. No, for visibility and longevity. All right. Yeah. Now, all sudden,
1: yeah. all
7: you build with people who know you're a Jew. Right, right, right. And what he's
1: saying right. here
7: is, right. we're going to build Jew values. Right.
1: We build that. Yes. Bidiuk, exactly, exactly. We're we're not just going to have the building, we're going to have the building, the building of society through us. Through us. Yeah. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Let's look at the last paragraph just because we do need to bring this to some kind of a close. I hope, well, I'll, I'll say a little more. Um, he he says, um, he has some very specific ideas that you can read on your own about taxation and what he thinks will... Um, where, where this 10% should go and how we could move away from what he calls a bourgeois do-goodism, right? He says, if it is authentic and rigorous and not merely bourgeois do-goodism, it will make us all anxious. <laughs> but it is also capable of purifying, partly by diminishing in number the, the insincere multitude that constitutes our Jewish polity today. You know, as opposed to saying, big tent, everyone be a part of it, and the bar is so low that it doesn't matter who's in. He's saying, no, let's just have the real people who want to build society and build from there. Um, And he says, and who knows what allies, human and superhuman, we might thus acquire. Maybe new different kinds of people will step forward to be part of this. He says, the times for refusal is over. Judaism teaches that we achieve theological insight not by Greek speculation or by mystic ecstasy, but by living law. Our goal is not impossible self-realization, and our aim is not coldly ethical. What we seek and in seeking begin to achieve is the meeting with the God who has chosen us from among all the nations to suffer and to witness. So, this is Wolf. (laughs) I didn't, I promised you that it would be um, a ride. If you feel stirred up, that's good. He would like that. I think he would like that. Um, And I wonder just as we start to wrap up, what, what if anything rises to the surface, what do you think you'll take with you from his work and from his teaching? Is
13: there an actual commandment that says that we have to serve God?
1: It's a great question. Um, it's understood. <clears throat> I am God. You will have no other gods before me. Yes.
5: We both can we, can I just share it? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like we're talking to our children who are pretty mm-hmm. radical.
11: Mm-hmm. And,
14: who, and who
4: have um, not embraced
2: mm-hmm.
4: traditional Jewish yeah. religion anymore because, yeah. they, because this is the way they this is the way they
1: felt. What's the this?
4: They, you know, they felt that. It's a lot of talk.
10: Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
4: And I don't Uh-huh. See, uh-huh. I don't uh-huh. really see it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And when they went at one time, yeah. one-year-old, daughter went at one time to have a conversation with the rabbi. Yeah. Yeah. When she was away at college and yeah. looking at other religions, he absolutely didn't uh-huh. didn't have the conversation. Theologically, that she was asking for it. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. he had it at that
1: yeah. time, Yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: She would be here. She would be here with all of her... Um,
1: hmm
4: Yeah, with all of her passion.
1: Send her, her the essay and my phone number.
4: I,
6: absolutely. <laughs> because, you know, we can look
4: back and... Free
6: see of the, charge.
4: You know, you see, you just see the time at which had their... Had, had, had the... Right. Had the traditional...
1: Right, um, right. What do we lose by protecting ourselves? We may lose some of our children. Um, the 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 steady road. Beautiful, beautiful. Other other things that rose to the surface from this provocative essay? I
6: think his essay could as easily have been written today working yeah. with us yeah. as it was in 64. Yeah. It? Uh, with, with a few tweaks, it yeah. basically is as relevant Much of it is as relevant today as it was when when it was first.
1: Yeah. When I found this, I was shaking. I I couldn't believe it.
13: It was very
11: precious.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
11: Yeah. In in a way, I think his his last sentence undoes his whole essay. Yes. Unfortunately. Yes. uh, It it really isn't the God who has chosen us Uh that he wants us to look.
1: yeah I see what you're saying I think what he is probably thinking is many people can be chosen we have been chosen to do this
11: what I'm thinking is that we have chosen God
1: ah nice ah nice 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 I didn't see that Hmm. nice others anyone else yeah I
9: think in previous generations the, the ones that come before us have asked us to do as they do Mm-hmm. this is how we do it, mm-hmm. this is how you mm-hmm. need to do it. Mm-hmm. But now, my own children will say, you know, we, we do it, but you have to let us do it our way. We're mm-hmm. still doing it, but we're uh-huh. doing it our way. It might yeah. not look right. like what you're used That's to, right. or what your parents might have done or right. expected us to do, but they're still doing
1: it. Right. So
9: And we have to respect that, just like you're doing your right. your community, which is totally That's different right. from, That's you right. know, a, the things that, that that occurred in the 50s and
1: 60s. And and we don't raise our children to grow up to be just like us. A successful adult child is someone who's got their own way. Right? And same in the Jewish community, we want the, we don't want our kids to grow up to be I want to the clone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Was there something with there other hands? I just love yeah.
3: the idea that we are the choosing
1: people. I like that. Yeah. The frozen chosen. Yeah. Choosing, choosy. Yes.
5: Yes. Yeah, is very hard to do. Yes. Yes. Yes.
1: Yes.
11: Yeah. We, we have to form a gang.
5: Yes. I think
1: <laughs> <make a> gang. <laughs> <laughs> And you support each other. It's so, it's there's no way to be Jewish uh, and uh, be, there's no such thing as a Jewish hermit. There isn't. It has to be done in community.
9: talking to himself. If Perhaps trying to convince himself or teach himself or you know come out of you know, primarily talking to himself.
1: Perhaps. Perhaps. Yes. what do you do with
9: this? Um,
1: what do you do with this? I s
5: as as you were saying, this is not where the Jewish is.
1: Parts are. Parts, are.
5: Parts, Parts really are. are. Sunday is the gay pride for Raise
10: your hand if you don't do the gay pride praying. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> don't forget to pick up your t-shirts on Friday
1: I, I think the idea of a hevra of people saying hey are we are we keeping our end of the bargain here is it, we've been commanded are we stepping into that and holding each other accountable is, um, is a really beautiful and apt response he was a congregational rabbi after all and I believe this was given in a congregational setting and so the idea was now the community takes it and goes with it
14: mm-hmm.
1: right and on that note, it's really a pleasure. Um, thank you for putting up with, uh, with Arnold Jacob Wolf. And um, I hope to continue our, our paths will continue to cross, and we'll have other opportunities to study. Thank you. Yeah. so
9: much Can we give another round
13: of
15: applause to